0: During this busy week, we're pausing to remember the events of the most important week in history. You've heard some of that already. But the, the most important week in all of history occurred in this part of Scripture that we're, we're, we're going over and sharing during this time. During this week, we see Jesus' ministry reach its climax in, in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. I want to read to you an account that Jesus determined that it was time. And he set his mind and heart to go to Jerusalem, knowing what lay ahead. He was anointed by Mary in Bethany for his burial. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and wrestled with God and about as he faced the cross. And, and then he went out to be arrested. And then we catch the story in Mark chapter 15, uh, verse 1, as we see what takes place after his arrest. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, the scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, The chief priests tied Jesus up. They led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner during the Passover whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels and had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as, he was, as, as was his custom. But Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred at the crowd so that he, could, he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Again they shouted, Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, he handed them over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were playing him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes back on him. They led him out to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of Skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was, the king of the Jews. They crucified him. two, they crucified two criminals with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. Those that pass, who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him, among themselves and saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani?" which is translated, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, See, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and fixed it on a stick. They offered him a drink and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last breath. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Thank you for your word, Lord, and guide us as we consider what it teaches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The cross upon which Christ died has become a symbol of Christianity. I was trying to think of how to bring a cross because that's what I wanna talk about. And fortunately, Brandon already arranged for a cross. So we have our symbol and it's a powerful symbol that we have had through the years. A symbol that's pictured on the artist's canvas and great pictures of history, created on stained glass windows, woven into our clothing, Uh, a symbol on Bible covers and worn as jewelry. We put on spires and churches and standing tall on mountain peaks. The symbol of Christianity We see everywhere. And it has been a symbol for the last 20 centuries of our faith. It's impossible to exaggerate the importance of the cross. A quarter of the gospel, the four gospels, relate to the cross and the final week leading up to the cross. The earliest preaching found in the book of Acts was all about the cross and what Jesus did there. Paul told us in Galatians that he gloried in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was an offense to the Jews and, uh, and a, stumbling, a stumbling block to the Jews, and an offense to the, to the Gentiles. And it was, a, it was a, a powerful message. So let's take a look at that message of the cross this morning. Four things I'd like to share with you. Don't worry, it's not that long. Just four things that I'd like to share with you. Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for us, first of all. Imagine, if you will, that you were a man by the name of Barabbas, arrested, you were a murderer, a traitor to your country, a criminal that has been condemned by the whole country and by the courts, and you're on death row, you know, have no appeals, you've been found guilty, and you're waiting in a dungeon for your death. The final hours before your execution, there's noise above the dungeon, there's, the city seems to be angry, and loud voices can be heard. Pilate, the governor of Rome, as tradition has it, releases a prisoner during the the Passover of the choosing of the people and releases a condemned prisoner during that time. And uh, he was trying to get out of his problems with Jesus by getting them to pick Jesus to be freed because he was a whole lot better than Barabbas, right? Barabbas was a, a known criminal and hated. All Barabbas could hear down in that dungeon was his name occasionally, And the crowd shouting, let him be crucified. So, when Barabbas heard footsteps of the Roman guard as he approached his cell, Barabbas believed that his day had come. Then a strange thing happened. The guard took Barabbas to the door, threw it open, and pushed Barabbas into the street. And said, you're free, you sorry criminal. Get out of here. And turned him loose. Now, Barabbas, dazed and confused, may have moved toward the crowd, not knowing why he's now free. And from the crowd, he may have learned that a man named Jesus of Nazareth was dying in his place, that he'd been pardoned. Barabbas may have watched as Jesus began the difficult journey up the hill to Golgotha. He may have seen the soldiers lay Jesus on the cross and, and drive those cruel spikes into his hands and his feet. Barabbas may have been there as they lifted the cross and dropped it into the hole in the ground, and as Jesus' flesh tore as as it hit that hole. As he watched, Barabbas may have said, that would have been me. That should have been me on the cross. I'm the guilty one. I should have died. This Jesus died in my place. To understand the cross, we must understand that Jesus died in our place. He died in your place. He died in my place. We deserve to die for our sins. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus took our punishment. He paid for our sins. 1 Peter 5.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. There was no sin in Jesus, but he died in our place that we might come to God and have peace with him. So first of all, the cross is a symbol of the substitute that Jesus was for our sins. He died for us. Secondly, the cross serves as an illustration of the horror of sin. Often today we try to whitewash sin. There's no real difference between right and wrong. It's all relative, right? It doesn't really make that much difference. There are no real consequences, we seem to think, in our society. When you begin to think that sin is harmless, no big deal, you need to consider the cross. God takes sin so serious that he would not forgive our sins unless his own son paid for them on that cruel cross. The cross is a visual illustration of the horror and consequences of sin as he took upon himself the wrath of God for our sins. The pure, innocent, sinless Son of God was required as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. Nothing less would satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. You want to know how terrible sin is? Look at the cross. God's Son, bleeding, naked, ridiculed, forsaken, dying because of our sin. Third, the cross is not only an illustration of the horrors of sin, but it's also the revelation of the greatness of God's love. Nowhere do we see it demonstrated more strongly than upon that cross. At St. At Paul's Cathedral in London, they have a life-size marble statue of Jesus on the cross. And then the inscription under it says, this is how much God loved the world as his arms were stretched out. The enemies of Jesus did not take Jesus' life As you read through the scripture, you'll see that Jesus gave it on purpose. And it was his time, he timed it, he controlled it from beginning to end. He chose to die for our sins. It was part of God's plan from the ages. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave him, he gave Jesus on purpose. Jesus died on the cross to show just how far God's love will go to reach out to us, his creation, his lost creation. There's no limit to God's love. It is broad. His love was for everyone. For God to so love the world, not included everyone. Whoever you are. It talks about the length. It showed there's the length of God's love. Wherever people are in this world, God loves them and is reaching out to them through what he did on the cross. The width of his love, whenever, whether you're young, a child, middle-aged, or an old man like me, God loves us. Whatever span, whatever age we are, and whatever depth of sin or whatever situation we are in life, God loves us and sent his son to die for us. You can't go deep enough to get beyond the love of God. You can't go high enough. You can't go far enough to get away from the love of God. The cross is a neon sign throughout history that says God loves you. You got it? God loves you. When you see the cross, you need to see that. It demonstrates the love of God. Love does is the theme of this week. God demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. Finally, the cross not only tells us of the substitute that died for our sins. it is not only the illustration of the horror of sin, it is also the revelation of God's love for us and lastly, it's an invitation to all of us to return to God. Paul said, the power of God that the cross is the power of God and to salvation. Jesus declared, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the perfect Son of God died a painful death on a shameful cross for a sinful world. Thank you, God. When he cried, it is finished, the veil in the temple that separated people from the Holy of Holies in the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. And God made a new highway into the very presence of God available to all those who put their faith and trust in the crucified Lord. Jesus told his disciples that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Today let me invite you to come to the Lord by putting your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. There is no other way except through Jesus. There's an old hymn that speaks to us today and assures us there is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. There's room at the cross for you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to take this time out in the middle of the day to remember the significance of this Good Friday. The day your son mounted that cross willingly in shame and sorrow and pain and died as his plan had always been, that those who had gone astray and those who were guilty of sin and were, would be forever separated from you could be forgiven and brought back. Thank you, God, for paying the price. We're thankful, thankful, God, that we have a God who does what we just exactly what we needed. And without you, there is no hope. So we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for His sacrifice on the cross, and we thank you for His victory over sin and death. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Go on to the other things. Thank you for being here this morning.